And today we're going to run to win the crown. We're going to run to win the crown. So our foundation scripture all year so far has been from Hebrews chapter 12. Let's just all read it out loud, shall we? It's going to come up on the screen. Thanks, Johnny. Good to have you back, by the way. Welcome back from the States, you and Amy. So let's go from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. 1, 2, 3, read. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You sounding fantastic, church. I tell you what, well done, well done. So we're going to continue. That was our foundation scripture. Today's got an, also got a foundation scripture. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 to 27. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. It says, I'll just read it, okay. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it for a perishable crown, but we do it for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I've preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. What powerful words. A powerful, powerful scripture. This was written by the Apostle Paul, as we know. And all throughout Paul's writings, he draws parallels. He draws comparisons between the Christian life and the life of an athlete or running a race. And we know from since January, all the the messages that we've heard about running our best lap, that every race has certain components. So we're looking at the race that is, that is life, but we're also looking the race of an athlete, but we're also looking at running our race as believers. So in every race, there are certain components, and there will always be in a race training that takes place. And we know that days of preparation are never wasted. Days of preparation are never wasted. You know what, maybe you're going through something and you think, when is this ever going to materialize? God, you've, you've gifted me, you've, you've told me to do such and such, but I can't see the result. Guess what? You're in those days of preparation and they can go on for many, many years. Jesus' earthly ministry, 30 years of training for three years of ministry. Um, Moses, 40 years on the backside of a desert. Come on. Well, you're in good company here, okay? So in every, every race, there'll be training that takes place. Every race has a start and a finish and everything in between. 
And Jesus, we read from Hebrews chapter 12, he's the author and the finisher, and he's everything in between as well. He's with us as we go through this race in life. In every race, there's an opportunity to give up and to throw in the towel. And the Bible says that don't grow weary in doing good, for in due season, for in due season, you will reap if you faint not. So there will be opportunities to give up and throw in the towel, but there'll be opportunities to persevere and to finish. Remember the scripture that says, be strengthened with all might in your inner man. God wants to strengthen us. Jesus, by the power of his Holy Spirit, strengthens us, encourages us, makes us victorious. And in every race, there's a dress code. You don't go running a race in your PJs, I don't think. I don't think you do. You've got to be suitably dressed. So we've got to put on the armor of God. We've got to put on that robe of righteousness. This is all very spiritual talk, isn't it? But there is a robe of righteousness that we receive at salvation. We've got to wear Jesus well. Wear Jesus well. So, and the, But the Apostle Paul, he admonishes us. He says, run in such a way that you win the prize. Run in such a way that you obtain that imperishable crown. Because there's a prize. There's a crown. There's an imperishable crown for those of us in this race. But we need to run our race in order to obtain it. So allow that crown to motivate you. Know that there, there's the promise of good things to come. Allow that to motivate, motivate you, that it is going to be worth it. It's worth the training. It's worth the hardship. It's worth standing at the door here on a Sunday morning, trusting God for people to come in. There will be fruit. Watch it. It's going to be worth it. So in the New Testament, there are mainly two words um, for crown. One refers to a royal crown, like the queen would wear, and the other is a victor's crown. And the Greek word for that victor's crown is a stephanos. It's a pity Steph isn't here today, because this message had his name written all over it. It's a stephanos. And in early 6th century BC, and it's a pity Byron's not here today because there's a lot of words here about the Greek people. And I know a little Greek. His name is Byron. But he's, in early 6th century BC, there were Greek games which were held every two years in a place called Isthmus, which is located near Corinth. And the prize for winning any of the events was a crown. And that crown was actually initially made of celery leaves. Doesn't it inspire you? <laughs> I want to win a celery leaf. No, then the Romans came along and they perfected it a little bit and they changed it from celery leaves to pine leaves. I mean, I'm still not really that much inspired, but anyway, but these games, they called these Isthmian games, were also known as Stephanitic games. Use that word in a sentence this week, I dare you. You know, we're going to the Stephanitic Games. The reason it's called Stephanitic Games is because the prize was a crown. And in Paul's day, sporting events were big. Something like today in the world, where there's so much 
around the world of sport, isn't it? But Paul uses the analogy of, this, of these games to speak to the church at Corinth. I love the fact that God is not mystical. He's not out there somewhere speaking mysteries that no one can understand. He speaks your language. He, he, he makes things so clear to us. And Paul uses this the sporting event near Corinth get across to get a message across to the church in Corinth. And he's encouraging this church in Corinth based on these Isthmian games. He's encouraging them to run their race and he makes reference to that victor's crown. So in the same way, each one of us has a race to run. We know that in Hebrews 11, the patriarchs, they all had their race to run. Jesus had his race to run, and it was the cross. And you and I are the joy that was set before him that we read about in Hebrews 12 there. You and I are that joy. He ran his race. The Apostle Paul, who wrote the scripture in 1 Corinthians 9, he had his race. And we know that he ran it to the very end. In the same way, we have our race today. We have our race to run. So let us stand before Jesus today. The Bible says, looking unto Jesus. Let's look in the eyes of Jesus. Not as an equal. He's, we're not his equal. But we look into the eyes of Jesus with all humility and we respond to him today. What has he asked you to do? What has he asked you to do? God has a race for you and for me with your name written on it. And he's gifted you. He's given you exactly what you have need of in order to perform that race. I don't know about you, but I want to be like the Apostle Paul, who, who, who said this to, to, his, to the pastor, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 4.7. At the end of his life, he said these words to the, to, the apost to, to, to the pastor, Timothy, and he said, Apostle Paul said, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. And then he goes on with this amazing statement. He says, finally... There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, the Stephanos, the victor's crown, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me. The Lord will give to me on that day. And not to me only, Paul says, but to all who have loved his appearing. There is a crown of righteousness laid up for you and for me. But our coronation is not automatic. Just because we're alive on planet Earth today doesn't mean we automatically get our coronation. We don't automatically receive our crown. There's a race set before each one of us. And God has gifted you with what he requires of you. You have everything you have need of in you in order to run your race and to finish strong. In Matthew 25, we won't go there, we'll see a, a little scripture in a little while, but in Matthew chapter 25, 
is the parable of the talents. So if, you, if you're not familiar with it, go home afterwards and read the, the account in Matthew 25. And it's a parable, which is a story that illustrates a spiritual lesson. And in this account, in Matthew 25, there's this master who has servants, and this master's about to go on a long journey. And he gives to one servant five talents, and to another servant he gives two talents, and to another servant he gives one talent. And what I love is that the Bible says that he gives to each one according to their ability. According to their ability, he gives them talents. And what happens is that this man goes away, then he comes back. And when he comes back, the guy who had given, he'd given five talents produces another five. So he had produced ten talents. He had five, and he, he put those five talents to work, and he had ten talents. And, and the master's words to him were, well done, good and faithful servant. The guy with two talents, he had put his two talents to work and produced another two. And the master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. And I love the fact there was no expectation on the guy who was given two talents to produce five. He just had to put his two to work. He didn't have to compete with the guy who had five. He just had to do what he had to do in front of him with those two talents. And he put those two talents to work and he had a well done, good and faithful servant. But the guy with the one talent, he said the wrong thing. He had gone and hid it in the ground. And so he gave back one talent. And the master said to him in Matthew 25, verse 24 to 25, he said, this is what that guy with one talent said, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown. In other words, he's a thief. And gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. This servant had no understanding. He was afraid. He had the wrong understanding of his master, first and foremost, because he says, I was afraid. He had no faith. He didn't know what to do with his one talent. So he had the wrong concept of God, of his master, and he went and hid his talent. And I don't know what he did. He might have been comparing himself to number five and number two, but he withdrew, and all he did was hide his talent in the ground. And his master's response was, you wicked and lazy servant. Ooh, oh, what painful words. And he took away that one talent, and he gave it to the guy who had 10. It's like, why give it to him? Why didn't you give it to number two? No, he gave it to the guy with, with 10 talents. Because it says, the, the, the Bible says, he who is faithful with little will be trusted with much. But the point of this is that we've got to use what God has given us. We've got to put it to work. God has empowered us to do all that, to, 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 he's empowered us to, to, he's given us talents 
and we need to put those talents to work in order to run our race. How many of you actually want to hear a well done, a good and faithful servant? I certainly do. I'll put up both hands. But in order to do that, we've got to have the attitude of that athlete. We've got to run to win. We've got to put our talents to work. We're not just in a race to participate. We're not just here for the for the, for the fun of it. There's purpose in the race. So we've got to train and compete as, as an athlete who wants to win. We've got to be deliberate, not bury our talent in the ground, but to put it to work. Run to win. Run to win. It takes effort. Ask Amy, ask Johnny here every Sunday morning, ask Andrew, nine o'clock on a Sunday morning. They could have an extra hour in bed, but they are here setting up. They are running to win by the sweat of their brow at times, but they are running to win. 1 Corinthians 9, 25 in our, in our foundation scripture, he says, everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Temperate in all things. In other words, self-controlled, self-restrained. And I think of, um, in particular, something like um, somebody who takes part in a sport, an individual sport, like boxer, a boxer, or a wrestler, or a tennis player. I think when they are in training, they are told what they can eat, how many proteins they need to eat, how many carbs they need to eat, what they're not allowed to eat, what they're not allowed to drink, how much sleep they need. You know, they, it's dictated, but they have to be temperate in all things. They even are told not to overtrain. They, they've got to take rest. They must learn to rest as well. And in 1 Corinthians 10.23, the Bible says, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. So it's good to have protein, it's good to have carbs, but they're not all beneficial. You know, and I think, and in particular, this message is so profoundly for today, for those that aren't here. And I'm going to labor it a little bit, but in, I just want to emphasize a point. All things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. Watching Christian TV is good. Some of it is good, some of it is horrendous, okay? Be careful what you watch. But it is not a substitute for church. It is not a substitute for church. Hebrews 10.25 says this, not forsaking the, the assembling of ourselves together, not forsaking, remember that word, forsaking, the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day, the capital D, day, the return of Jesus Christ, as so much more as you see the return of Jesus coming, as you see that day approaching, he says, not forsaking. That word forsake means to leave helpless. To leave helpless. And 
in preparation for this, uh, for the most well, one of the most quoted scriptures, it has to be, is from the words from the mouth of God himself, where he says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, I will never forsake you. In other words, I will not leave you helpless, I will not leave you impoverished. This is God speaking. That word forsake means to make helpless, to leave helpless, to make feel impoverished. And a person who forsakes, and I'm sorry to emphasize this, but I feel the need that a person who forsakes the gathering of the saints, and I'm preaching to those not here, is in effect impoverishing the body of Christ. They are impoverishing the body of Christ. And I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, come back to the body of Christ. He says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Assembling means a gathering together in one place. When I was at school in South Africa, every single day we used to have assembly. And it was the whole school the whole school would attend, all the teachers, all the staff, the cleaners, everybody, and all the students. We had assembly. We were gathered together in one place. And the purpose of gathering together in one place, we've got to go back one verse from Hebrews 10.25. It's preceded by Hebrews 10.24. That's amazing. That happens at times. But listen to what it says. Let us consider one another. In other words, let us give thought to one another in order to love, to stir up love and good works. Then he goes on, not forsaking, not leaving helpless, not making impoverished, the assembling, the gathering together and in one place, of each other. Consider one another. Give thought to one another. The purpose of us assembling together, gathering together, is to encourage one another. We are here for each other. I know that there's a place where we need to sit and receive for ourselves, but ultimately what we've got, we give, we've got to give it away. That is the purpose. So we need to be deliberate. We need to be intentional in running our race. Let's be intentional. Let's be deliberate in exhorting one another, in encouraging one another, in gathering um, together, in stirring one another up to love and good works. What can you do? What can you say to somebody that will stir them up, that will stir their heart, that, man, I just want to go out and I just want to be a blessing. Be, a, be that person. Be that person that stirs each other up. But he goes on and he says in 1 Corinthians 9, 26, this is the Apostle Paul still speaking. He says, therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. You know, you always see these guys training and they're beating the air. So that's not, that's not what it's about. It's not shadow boxing. 
That's not what it's about. The New Living says, I run with purpose in every step. I am not shadow boxing. I'm not shadow boxing. I'm, I run like, I do not run aimlessly. I don't, it's not that I run and I don't know which direction I'm going in. No, I run on purpose in a certain direction. And in verse 27, he says, the Apostle Paul says, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. That word discipline isn't the same word from which we get disciple. It actually, that word discipline means to strike under the eye. We're not talking self-harming here, okay, people? To give a black eye. But the point is, it's targeted. We target it. It's, It's not hit or miss. It's not a shotgun approach. And what I mean by shotgun, shotgun approach is like we just shoot uh, multiple pellets, thousand and one pellets in every direction and hope that we hit somewhere. No, we're talking about a sniper's rifle. Am I talking the right lingo, hey, Quinton? Am I right here with what I'm talking about, a sniper's rifle? Do you know what I'm talking about, a sniper's rifle? Nope. <laughs> you only use a big ship. Okay, but we're talking about a sniper's rifle. But a sniper's rifle is aimed. It's intentional. And we need to be aimed and intentional in order to win and obtain that Stephanos, that victor's crown. During those Isthmian games, there were two requirements to receiving that victor's crown. Number one, you had to stick to the rules. Okay? 2 Timothy 2.5 says, and also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So we need to do what God's told us to do and do it his way. Stay in your lane. Keep to your path. Run within the lines. Don't change path. Stay, run within the lines. David, the psalmist, says in Psalm 16, he says, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. Ah, he says, I have a good inheritance. I have a beautiful inheritance. I have a wonderful inheritance because the lions have fallen to me in pleasant places. And Psalm 16 was written by David, who was one of eight sons. The chances of him having a good inheritance were very minimal. They were very minimal. He was from a very large family. But he's the same guy who who wrote Psalm 16.6. He's the same guy who wrote Psalm 16.5. And he said, oh Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. David took comfort in the fact that he had his race to run, but God would maintain him. God would keep him. And it's a good, his inheritance is a good inheritance. Those Isthmian games that were run, that were, that, that, were, that were performed, the prize was that crown of pine leaves. But our prize, our inheritance, that good inheritance, that beautiful inheritance, is imperishable. It doesn't fade away with time. It's not like a sloppy little pine leaf. It's an imperishable crown that is maintained by God 
for all eternity. So we've got to run within our lines. Run within our lines. Be content with where God has placed you. Keep within your lane. So that was the first one, stick to the rules. Stick to the rules. The second part of of a requirement to receiving a victor's crown, win the victory. Win the victory. Do what God's told you to do. How do you know what God's telling you to do? By taking a step of faith. You take a step of faith. 1 John 5, 14 says, this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. If you want a victor's crown, you've got to have victory, and the way we do it is by faith. And it might be something seemingly small and insignificant. Maybe it's making someone a cup of tea. I know at the end of every service, I am gasping. Big hint, okay. But maybe God's saying, make Sandy a cup of tea, milk one sugar, okay. Maybe, but maybe it's someone making a cup of tea. Maybe it's speaking to these scary people that come in here for the second time and like, like Jean, is it? Yes, and, and she's a scary lady. But maybe God's saying to you, go and have a word with her. Encourage her. Welcome her. It stretches you outside of your comfort zone. But God has enabled you. He has empowered you to do what he's calling you to do. Maybe here's a big one. Maybe it's serving in kids' church once a month. Once a month. Come on. Maybe it's praying for someone. Maybe it's just encouraging someone. Maybe it's just complimenting someone. You know, maybe, you know, Amy's hair looks gorgeous today. She's done something amazing, like a French plait effect there. It looks gorgeous. No, it just came out, didn't it, this morning? First thing I said, Amy, your hair looks beautiful. And I'm not boasting on myself, but just go with the flow, you know. It's not always the big rah-rah. It's not the big, the preaching, the, the best sermon. The, the stage is not the award. The stage is not the crown. The microphone isn't the award. It's being obedient to what God has asked you to do. It's being obedient to that prompting and a lot of Sandy's hints, but that's what wins victory. So we are to run our race to win that crown, that incorruptible crown, not made of celery leaves, not made of pine leaves, but it's an incorruptible crown, an inheritance that never fades away. And the end of that scripture, 1 Corinthians 9, Paul ends with this, he says, lest I become disqualified. And that he's not referring there to loss of salvation, He's not saying you're all going to die and go to hell. No, he's talking here about the, 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 the Isthmian games. If a competitor didn't win, they didn't revoke his Greek citizenship. He still retained his citizenship, but he lost the reward. He's talking about the loss of the reward. So we know that Paul ran his race. He ran it well, despite all that he had to contend with. And I wrote a little list here quickly this morning, and I thought, these are some of the things he had to contend with. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He, was, he suffered sleeplessness, lack, hunger, thirst, cold. He had to contend. We live in such a luxury 
world. But this is the Apostle Paul. For 30 years, he, he, he ministered the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the way he did it was he, he brought his body into subjection. He contended, he fought to, to, to win that victor's crown. And we're to do the same. We're to stay the course, stay in our lane, be diligent constantly and vigorously on your course. The very last scripture, we're going to go back to it, that Paul wrote just prior to being martyred in 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 to 8. The Apostle Paul wrote this, his last letter, just before being martyred, and he said, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. In other words, he's about to be martyred. He was beheaded. He was already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. The time of my departure. The time, Paul was literally standing on the verge of eternity, about to be judged, condemned, and executed by an earthly court. But he was ready to receive that victor's crown. He didn't say, no, no, feel sorry for me, pray for me. No, he was ready. He was ready. He was ready to receive that Stephanos from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He goes on, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, that crown, that Stephanos, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but to all who have loved his appearing. At the final, his final words were that this victor's crown that he is now receiving from the Lord himself is not only for him, it's for all those who have loved his appearing. So if you've loved Jesus' appearing. If you've received him into your heart, if you've done what he's asked you to do, if you've stayed your lane, you too can echo those words. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my race. I have kept the faith. And when I go home to be with the Lord, or when he returns, whichever is first, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. So let's be like those wise virgins, longingly awaiting the bridegroom's return. Let's be prepared, church. Let's be prepared, body of Christ. Let's be prepared, bride of Christ. Be ready to look unto Jesus to look Jesus in the eye with all humility and assurance of his love, of his acceptance, that we too can receive that crown of righteousness, the victor's crown.